sermon today, we consider the plight of the Hebrew Bible prophet Jonah. Jonah, you may recall, was called by God to go and preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. Jonah refuses the call, runs away, is thrown overboard from a ship during a storm, is swallowed by a fish, and then spit out on a beach. That's where our reading picks up the story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed God's mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And God did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The book of Jonah has got to be the biggest joke in the Bible. How more outlandish of a story can you imagine than a person being swallowed by a fish and then being spit out three days later, still alive. Or a city of gargantuan proportions, with all of the inhabitants, including the king, repenting on the basis of just one hellfire and damnation sermon. Everybody repented, including the cows. Thousands of years before Chick-fil-A's cows demanded that we repent and eat more chicken, the cows of Nineveh repented. And for what? Do cows sin? Don't answer that. This whole story had to be a joke, even to the people in ancient times. Which means the book of Jonah is a convenient modern-day litmus test 
Do you read the Bible word for word as literally true and scientifically accurate? Or do you look for the deeper meaning in stories that clearly are of a symbolic nature, intended to persuade as opposed to inform? As the book opens, God tells Jonah to go and deliver a call of repentance to Nineveh, a great and apparently quite wicked city of the Assyrians. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, And he didn't want to preach to them precisely because he believed that if he did, the people he despised would indeed repent and turn to God. So instead of doing as God commanded, Jonah runs away in the opposite direction, taking a boat sailing west in the Mediterranean Sea. God sends a tremendous storm that threatens the ship. The sailors correctly surmise that God is after Jonah, so with great reluctance, they throw him overboard to save their own skins. Immediately, the storm ceases. Meanwhile, Jonah gets swallowed, Pinocchio-like, by a giant fish. Now that God has gotten Jonah's attention, Jonah prays for deliverance. After three days, the fish spits Jonah out on the beach. Again, God tells Jonah to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. This time he decides to go. And sure enough, the people repent of their evil ways and God brings them salvation. In the troubling epilogue to the story, Jonah curses God for God's gracious generosity. Well, at least Jonah was honest about how he felt. There are two intertwined themes in this tale, or shall I say, this fish story. The first is God's persistent universal grace. God won't take no for an answer. Jonah declines God's invitation to go to Nineveh and preach repentance So God goes to extreme measures to get his attention. The storm he sees, the getting thrown overboard, swallowed, and then upchucked by the fish part. God doesn't give up on Jonah, or on Nineveh for that matter. The people of Nineveh were not part of the chosen people of the main story of the Hebrew Bible. They're Gentiles, outsiders, and despite Jonah's hard heart, His story reveals that God's grace extends beyond the chosen people of Israel. The book of Jonah is one of the first hints in the Bible that God's grace may indeed be universal for everybody. Throughout the Bible, God chooses the outsider to reveal the depth of grace. God chooses the unchosen ones Who are God's favorites? The unfavorites of everybody else. And it begins literally with Adam and Eve. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. According to the norms of the day, Cain, the firstborn son, is the child of promise. But it turns out to be the other son whom God chooses. Abraham is chosen by God to be the father of many nations. Abraham has two sons. The firstborn is Ishmael, the secondborn is Isaac, 
And it is Isaac who is recognized as the child of promise, not Ishmael. The same with Isaac's two sons, Esau and Jacob. Isaac grants Jacob, the secondborn, not the first, the patriarchal blessing. And so it goes with Joseph and David and many others. God chooses the secondborn or the lastborn, not the firstborn. Then in the New Testament, it is those despised as unworthy or unclean. And the Gentile outsiders, not the children of the first covenant, who are portrayed as the ones who recognize the good news of Jesus to be good news. And in perhaps the greatest joke of all, who are the faithful ones first at the tomb on Easter morning? The ultimate outsiders of the ancient world, the women. So from God's point of view, if you will, the story of Jonah is the story of God's persistent grace, an installment of the unfolding biblical story of the width and depth of God's love for humankind, all humankind. As the old hymn says, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. That's the point of the story from God's point of view. But what about the story of Jonah from our point of view? What was Jonah's problem? And what do we make of it? Simply stated, Jonah's problem was he refused to face the difficulties of life that came to him. God called him to go and help people he despised. And Jonah ran away rather than endure the pain of changing his mind and his heart. Jonah had a difficult choice. Face his own prejudices and fears or hang on to them and run away. I suspect we have more in common with Jonah than we care to admit. True, none of us have been swallowed by a whale. Actually, according to the story, remember it was a fish, not a whale. But do you find yourself, or have you ever found yourself, in a struggle over which direction to go, what to do, who to be, whether to stand up and face the music or to kick the can down the road one more time? Have you looked yourself in the mirror and said, I know I have some prejudices and unworthy attitudes and feelings about others, but I'm just not prepared to do anything about it. Can you forgive, but not forget? Many of us know Jonah pretty well, too well. Making hard decisions is not easy. That's why they're called hard decisions. Making changes to our hard wiring is tough. But if we learn anything from the story of Jonah, it is that running away from our troubles doesn't work. Try to visualize this. Jonah, after running away, getting thrown overboard, being swallowed by a fish, then regurgitated on a beach, looking up and finding Dr. Phil, 
peering down at him and asking, and Jonah, how is that working for you? Psychiatrist M. Scott Peck said, our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy, or unfulfilled. For it is only in such moments, propelled by our discomfort, that we are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways or truer answers. Since the days of the psalmists, the prophets have called people to turn to God from the depths of their despair and in the midst of their deepest difficulties because it is when we hit rock bottom, when we throw our hands up in desperation, that we are receptive to God's gracious word and presence. As the psalmist wrote, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is with us in our trials, and in our trials, we can sense God is with us. For it is when we have no alternative that we are finally ready to confess, in life and in death, I belong to God. And therein lies our hope. Jim Collins, author of the book for executives and organizations, Good to Great, in writing how great leaders face difficult times, puts it this way, if you would truly excel, retain faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and at the same time, confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they be. That is as good an expression of biblical, hopeful faith as I know. In the face of our adversities, we dare to claim that in the end we will prevail because we are confident that in the end God will prevail. Such hope does not blot out the present, and such hope does not change the challenges we face, but such hope, such biblical hope, does change the way we view the challenges we face. Sadly, Jonah turned and walked away from God's gracious love. He refused to accept that grace or to face himself. That's the bad news. The good news is we can learn from Jonah's self-defeating folly. And in the life and teachings of Jesus and the witness of the church, we sense God's persistent grace drawing us into deeper, fuller life. Life as generous and just as God's grace. And we have the witness of those strong words of the Apostle Paul, who would remind us that by God's grace, we will prevail because God prevails. If God is for us, who is against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness 
or peril or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.